All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here today. If you would get your Bibles out, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Today we're going to begin a new series of messages for the next several weeks uh, entitled The Final Countdown, Living with Confidence in the Last Days. You know, almost every day that goes by, I get in a conversation with someone and the question will be asked at some point, do you believe that we are living in the final days? You look at the world events around us, you look at everything that's going on, and it's obvious why that question keeps coming up. And any time that I'm asked that question, I have to answer it with an absolute yes. I believe that we are living in the final days. And I'll even go a step further and say, not only do I believe it, but I know that we are living in the final days. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, there's a couple ways that I know it, but one is through Scripture. Scripture is the best way that we know what season we're in, what day we're in. And if you were to look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, John says this, Dear children, the last hour is here. The last hour is here. And when he says the last hour, that could be translated, and it is translated in some versions, as the final days. So he says, the last days are here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. So John says we're living in the last days. That was 2,000 years ago when John wrote that. And so the question comes, well, if John thought we were living in the last days 2,000 years ago, what in the world has happened? We are still here today, right? Now, that may be news for some of you this morning. We're still here. Uh, we are still here. Uh, trust me, this is not heaven, all right? So we are still here. And the question comes, if he thought he was living in the last days, then what does that mean? Well, I can tell you what it means. It means that we are 2,000 years closer to the very last day than when we were uh, when John wrote that 2,000 years ago. So we are closer today than we've ever been to the final days, right? So we are obviously living in the last days, and here's what helps us to understand that. When we talk about the last days, we are talking about the church age. We're talking about the time from when Jesus ascended into heaven to the time that Jesus comes again. Those would all be lumped into the last days. But the question is, where are we in the last days? And I believe this, that when you look at what we find in Scripture about what the final days on this earth are going to be like, then you have to look at the season that we're in and say that we are not just in the last days, but we are in the last days of the last days. But the question still comes, well, where are we in those last days? And the answer to that is, no one knows. No one knows the hour or the day except for God himself. Not even the angels in heaven know when that final day is going to be. But as we're going to see in our passage this morning, we don't have to live in wonder. We don't have to live in darkness, not knowing what is to come. Because God wants us to know what is to come. And so he gives us his word to look at. Today we're going to be looking at the next main event on God's prophetic calendar. And that is the rapture of the church. So even though we don't know how long these last days are going to be, we do know that the return of Christ 
could happen at any moment. As a matter of fact, when you look through Scripture, you see lots of prophecies of things that are to come. But one thing we don't see is any events that have to lead up to the rapture of the church. Now, I know that there are several opinions and several thoughts of people on the rapture of the church, when it's going to happen. Some believe that the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation period, before that seven years when all hell is going to break loose on this earth. Some believe that the rapture will happen at the three and a half year mark into that tribulation period. Some believe that the rapture of the church will happen after that. Some people believe that there's not a rapture of the church. Jesus just comes back to set up his kingdom here on this earth. And I can tell you for me personally, as I dig through scripture and I look through scripture, I see that there are two stages of Christ's return. The first stage is the rapture that we're going to look at today. And that is when Christ comes and the church meets him in the air. He does not come to this earth, but the church is caught up, is raptured out of this world to meet him in the air. And the second stage is when Jesus Christ comes back again at the end of Revelation. He comes back again and he sets up his kingdom for the thousand year millennial reign here on this earth. We will look at that in a couple of weeks. But we see that through Scripture, there's two different events that take place. And again, I want to mention that there are signs in Scripture that point to the very end of when Jesus is going to come. There are things that must play out before He comes back and steps His feet on this earth to set up His kingdom. We see those in Scripture. They're very clear. It's amazing to me when we look at our world around us, we see the events in the world around us of how it's pointing very quickly to that time. For me, I personally believe that the rapture of the church is going to happen before that seven-year tribulation period. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. If you look through Scripture, you'll see several places. I want to point out just a couple real quick. There's more than these, but one is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, where Paul, talking to the church there, says, He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The one he's talking about, that lawless one, is the Antichrist that we see pictured throughout the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom here on this earth and Christ will come and destroy that. But he says before the lawless one can be revealed, the one that is restraining will have to be removed. Well, who's the one that's restraining? The one that is restraining that lawless one right now is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God's got to be removed out of the way for that time to happen. Now, when we come to know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, Scripture teaches us that the Spirit of God now indwells us, now lives within us. And so the Spirit of God is within every believer. And so in order for the Spirit of God to be removed, then that means to me that the Christians will be removed. Because God's not going to remove His Spirit from us that He has given us, the one that He says will hold us and keep us until the final day. His Spirit is always going to be with us. And so for His Spirit to be removed from this world, then it is pretty evident that the Christians need to be removed out of the way. He is the restrainer. 
Another passage is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, where Christ told the church at Philadelphia, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that is to come. This is at the first part of Revelation. John is giving his vision of Revelation, and he says that Christ has told the church that because of your perseverance, I'm going to remove you from that hour that is to come. And when you continue to read through the book of Revelation after chapter 3, after he talks about the churches, you don't see the church mentioned on earth anymore. So those are just a couple of scriptures, or there's more that's out there, that I believe point to that time when the church is taken out in what we call the rapture, where we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air before that terrible time of tribulation begins. When you look at what's happening in our world, you compare the events that are taking place and you can see that things are building and things are building and things are building. And as you look at the things that are building in this world, keep an eye on what is happening in Israel. Because as we read through Scripture, that's where things are going to blow up in the world. And there's a lot of things that are happening. Now, again, some people will say, well, these things have been happening for many years, and you're absolutely right. But it just seems like there's an intensity now that has never been there before. It seems like there's just things that are different than the way that they have been before. But you've heard me say this. I'll say this again. We don't know when Christ will return for the church. But we need to prepare our lives like he is coming again today. But we need to continue to build the church as if he's not coming for another thousand years. And if we do that, then we won't be caught off guard. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So a couple things I want to just kind of get our minds wrapped around before we read this passage of Scripture. I want to say that if you are a follower of Christ today, then this should be an encouragement for you. Because what you're going to see as we dive into this passage this morning, that if you are a follower of Christ, you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If the rapture were to happen anytime soon and you're still alive, then you will be a part of that event. But the other encouraging news is, is if you're a believer or if you've had believers uh, that were loved ones and friends that have passed away, that they also will be a part of that grand event when the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The bad news today is, is if you're not a follower of Christ, you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If the rapture were to happen today, then you would be standing around wondering what in the world has just happened. What is going on? And you will miss that grand opportunity. If you're a non-believer and you die before this event takes place, you will miss out on this event because you will be separated from God for all of eternity. Now, those aren't popular things in our world today. Nobody wants to hear that. that that's what the Bible teaches. And we can't back away from those truths. That is the truth of God's Word. So, let's look at our passage this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We're going to read through chapter 5, verse 10. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters... We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So the church at Thessalonica was having an issue that they were struggling with. They knew that Paul had taught that the return of Christ is coming soon. It's going to happen very soon. They knew that Jesus talked about his return. And they were believing that this was going to happen in their lifetime. But they had a small problem. Some of their friends and their family who also believed this were now dying. And so the question came up, are they going to miss out on this grand event because they have died and their bodies are now in the grave? And so Paul steps up and he said, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And when you look at that, what he's saying, he's saying, I don't want you to be in the dark about this. I want you to understand what is going to happen, this grand event. I want you to see how it's going to play out. And then you're going to understand that those that have died in Christ are not going to miss out on the return of Christ. They will be a part of it. As a matter of fact, when Christ steps down and the church is caught up, they're going to be the first part of it. And we're going to rise up to meet them. So don't worry about those that have died and gone on before you. If they died in Christ, they are still going to be a part of this grand event. So Paul, writing to the believers, says, I don't want you to be in the dark. And that's what I love about the Scriptures, that God doesn't want us to be in the dark. Now, God doesn't reveal everything to us, and there's many reasons why He doesn't reveal anything, everything to us. But he doesn't reveal all things, but the other side of that is he doesn't want us to live in the dark, and he wants us to live our life with hope and with confidence. 
And in these final days, no matter where we're at in these final days, we can live out our lives with the hope and confidence of what Paul is trying to share to these believers back then. So there are a couple of things that I want us to see in this passage this morning when we think about the rapture of the church, when we think about the church that will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. The first thing is this, is that the return of Christ is imminent. The return of Christ is imminent. Listen, this is something you can count on. You can put it down. Christ is going to return. It was a good place if we were in church that there would have been a response. Christ is coming again, right? And as believers, that's our hope. We have that hope that Christ is going to come again. But I love what he says in this passage. He says that Jesus Christ is coming again. Not that I hope that one day he might come again and snatch us out of this world. Wouldn't that be great if he decided one day just to do that? That's not what he says. And he doesn't say that, well, hopefully one day there'll be this, this trumpet sound. And when that trumpet sounds, we're, we're out of here. We're done. We're leaving this world behind. He doesn't say that, well, maybe, maybe this is the way it's going to be. He says with confidence that here is what is going to happen. That Christ is coming back. And then he breaks down what this is going to look like. But he says it with confidence that he is sure of. And just as he was sure of it in his day, we can be sure of it in our day. Now I always wonder, why does God have me here at this time, this season, at this place in the world? He, he could have chose any time, any season to put me on this earth. But he chose for me to be here during this time. And the same for you. Why are we here during this time? And I want to tell you, I, I turn on the news. I hear people all the time. I don't watch the news anymore. It gets so depressing. I watch the news, and yes, sometimes it gets depressing, but I get excited when I watch the news. I want to tell you, I see things going on in this world, and I'm like, this has got to be the final days. Why does God have us alive during the final days? What is our purpose here on this earth? And it should excite us. And Paul is saying, don't get discouraged. Don't live your life without hope. Don't be in the dark about this. But listen, and he goes on at the end and he says, keep on encouraging one another with these words. Encourage people that Jesus is coming again. I want to tell you, the world needs to hear it. And the world's going to mock us because they don't get it. They're living in the dark. But Christians should be excited about the return of Christ. And Paul says, you can live with confidence knowing that Christ is going to return. How can he be certain about that fact? Well, he could be certain about this fact because of the promise that Jesus made in the 14th chapter of John. In the 14th chapter of John, Jesus is meeting with his disciples as he did many times. He's been explaining to them uh, about his death and, and what is going to happen. And so now in the 14th chapter of John, he's telling them, it's time I'm going to go away for a while. And this was not what they wanted to hear. I mean, Jesus is their friend. They've been with Jesus. Jesus is teaching them great things. And, and now he's telling them that he's going to go away. But he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. Some versions say many mansions. Whatever it is, there's many rooms. There's a lot of space in God's house. And he says, I'm going away. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then guess what? I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you can be also. 
And so Paul, with confidence, can say that Jesus made the promise. And if Jesus makes a promise, guess what? Jesus is going to keep his promise. Jesus made the promise that they're going to kill me, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to the grave, but I'm not going to stay in that grave, I'm going to rise again out of that grave, and I'm going to defeat death. And he kept the promise. Now if he can keep that promise, then I am very convinced that he can keep the promise that he's going to come again to receive us unto himself. And so was Paul. And so he can say with confidence this return is imminent because Christ promised it. So Jesus has gone to heaven, and Jesus has been in heaven preparing the house, preparing for his return when he comes to get his bride, and we are with him forever. Now that preparation, and we use this a lot in funeral services, and we talk about all the grand things that we can see on this earth that God has built and God has created. And when you look at the events in Genesis, it didn't take him very long to create all those things. But now Jesus has been making preparations for over 2,000 years. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? And what a grand time that is going to be. And the preparations, when you look at that word, it's like, uh, my father's house, there's lots of room. I'm going to prepare. What do you do when you're getting ready to have a big party? Hopefully you prepare, right? You make sure everything's ready so that when the guests come, that everything's in place and they can come and enjoy. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has been making the preparations for this day that Paul is talking about in this passage. So Jesus made the promise. And he said, I don't want you to be in the dark about this. Now, it's not fun living life in the dark because in the dark you can't see everything that's going on. And in the dark you start developing fears and all kinds of things, wondering what's going on that you cannot see. So he's like, I don't want you to be in the dark. I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I heard a story of a young military man and his commanding officer. They were going to a different location So they were taking a train. They get on the train, they get ready to leave, and the young man, he notices a beautiful young girl who is on the train with her grandmother. And the grandmother notices that this young man is noticing his granddaughter. Well, the train takes off, and they don't get very far, and the train goes into a dark tunnel. As soon as the train enters the tunnel, you hear a kiss, and you hear a slap on the face. So the grandmother begins to think, I cannot believe that young man had the nerve to kiss my granddaughter as soon as it got dark in here. But then she said, but thought, I'm so happy that my granddaughter slapped him away. The commanding officer thought, I'm pretty proud of this young man for having the courage to kiss this young lady. But I just can't believe that when she went to slap him that she missed and she slapped me. The young girl was thinking, I'm so glad that this young man had the courage to kiss me. But I cannot believe that my grandmother slapped his face. Well, they make it through the tunnel. The train lights back up. This young man is standing there. He's got a big grin on his face. And he's thinking these words. It is not every day that you get to kiss a beautiful young girl and slap your commanding officer at the same time. So in the darkness, three of them had no clue what was going on, but one of them knew exactly what was happening. And that's what we see in this passage. Paul was like, you don't have to live in the dark without knowing what is going on. Our world is getting darker every day, but we know what is coming. We know what is happening. 
We know what the end is. And we don't have to live as those who have no hope because our hope is in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He is coming again. That's great news, isn't it? That He's coming again. When we think about the return of Christ, we see in this passage that it will be sudden. I love the words that he uses here, but, but Christ himself is going to come and there's going to be this grand event unfold. Well, if you look over into uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, you get a little bit more detail of how this is going to be when Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And he says these words to the church at Corinth. He says, listen, I am telling you a mystery. And the mystery he's talking about is the mystery of the church being caught up to be with the Lord. He said, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In the moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Talking about the same event. And he says, here's what's going to happen. It's going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Now, I don't know how quick an eye twinkles, but uh, I, I thought there's an easy way to find out, right? So I go to Google yesterday, and I Google how fast is a twinkling of an eye. And you know what I discovered? Even Google doesn't know how quick the twinkling of an eye is. There's all kinds of stuff out there. And I could have brought numbers in and thrown them out, but I don't even know if those numbers are correct. But a twinkling of an eye is very, very quick. And that's what Scripture says. That's what he said. That's how quick it's going to be. It is going to happen fast. But I believe this. Even though it's going to happen fast and, and the believers are going to be taken out of this world very quickly, that for us that are involved, I believe this is going to be a slow motion event that we're going to enjoy every moment of it. Now, I don't know. hasn't happened. I'm just guessing. But I think we're going to be in for a huge party that we're going to know it from the time we hear the Lord's voice and the trumpet sound, and we're going to know exactly what is going on. And we are going to experience this event. But it's quick. For the rest of the world, it'll be quick. All of a sudden, things will have happened that they don't know how they happened or how it happened so quick. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 39 through 44. He says, this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus himself said, this event is going to happen quick. And there's going to be two men that will be working side by side. One will be gone. One will be left. There's going to be two women working side by side. One will be gone. One will be left. It's going to be a quick event that's going to happen where people are going to be standing around going, what in the world is going on? Now, I've always wondered for years, when this event happens, how are people going to explain this away? Because you know there's going to have to be <coughs> some sort of explanation. Years ago, I had this thought as I was thinking about this. And I thought the easiest way for them to explain it away will be alien abduction. Now listen, you're not going to find this in Scripture anywhere. 
So don't go dig. This is Dave's interpretation and my thought of how things are going to play out. And I could be totally wrong. I know that would shock some of you if I were wrong. But I could be totally wrong in that. But have you noticed all the talk lately about aliens, about spaceships? Now, some of that talk's been around forever, but I mean, it has ramped up to where now military has all this video. I even heard something recently, and I haven't followed up on it, but I've heard that our military has aliens in captivity. Don't know if that's true or not, but um, that's something that I heard. So how easy would it be for our government and the governments of this world when that happens and all of a sudden there's millions of people that have just been taken away for them to come out and say, life from other planets came and took them away. There was an alien abduction. Well, I got news for them. It will be kind of sort of an alien abduction, but not like what they're thinking. It'll be an abduction where Christ removes his bride from this world. I don't know how they'll explain it away, but they will. And it's going to happen quick, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. His return will be sudden. Third, his return will be personal. Verse 16 says that the Lord himself will come down with a commanding shout. I don't know about you, but man, that statement just lights me up. It gives me goosebumps when I read it. Because here's what I picture. We know that Christ is in heaven. He's making preparations. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. It is only the Father that knows the day or the hour when Christ will be given permission to go and receive His bride. And so I get a picture of Christ as He's sitting there next to the Father and the Father turns to Him and says, it is time. Go and get your bride. And Christ jumps up and with a commanding shout, He comes and He snatches His bride up out of this world. What an exciting time that is going to be. I don't know what that commanding shout is going to sound like. I don't believe those that don't know Christ uh, are going to hear it. But I believe each one of us that are followers of Christ, believers in Christ, we're going to hear that shout and we're going to know at that very second what is taking place. And he says that's going to be personal. It is Christ Himself that is coming. He doesn't send a representative. He could very easily say, all right, angels, you all get together. Go and take care of it. Go and bring them to me. But He doesn't. Christ Himself will return. And it says we will meet Him in the air. You know, we think about those loved ones that have gone on before us and what a great reunion time that's going to be. But I'm going to tell you, when we are in the air with the Lord, our focus is not going to be on everybody else. It's going to be on Jesus Christ Himself, our Lord and Savior, because of what He has done for us. What a great time that is going to be. And then His return will be triumphant because it doesn't just end with His commanding shout. It goes on to say that we will hear the voice of the archangel. I don't know what an archangel sounds like, but that's going to be pretty incredible too, right? And then there's going to be the trumpets of God. I don't know how many trumpets there's going to be, but it's going to be a grand triumphant event that the world will miss out on, but those that know Christ are going to be a part of. And what a party, what a celebration, what a grand triumphant event that it is going to be. I think there's nothing in our minds that can even begin to prepare us for what that day is going to be like. So the question is, how do we live with confidence knowing that the return of Christ could happen at any moment? How can we have confidence to know that we will be a part of this event? How do we know 
And we can trust this promise from the Lord. Well, the first thing is this, is to make sure that you are ready for His return. Are you ready today for the return of Christ? If it were to happen in the next few moments, if it were to happen before I end this message, would you be ready? I know some of you are saying, yeah, I wish it would happen 20 minutes ago. But <laughs> would you be ready if it were to happen today? How are you ready? Well, the way that you're ready is to know that you know Jesus Christ personally, that He is the Lord and Savior of your life. And here's how that happens. You recognize your need for Jesus Christ as your Savior because sin has separated us from God. So that means that we have to admit that we are a sinner. And all of us have sinned. There's not one of us in this room that can say, I have not sinned at some point in time in my life. And that sin has separated me from God. And it's to recognize that there is a punishment for that sin. And the Scripture tells us that the punishment for sin is death. But then it's realizing this, that God's great love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place. And that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. For those that would repent... Now, that word repent is something people don't like to hear anymore either because we want everything that God has to offer, but we don't want to give up anything. We don't want to turn from anything. The word repent simply means that I'm turning from my old way of life and I'm going to live my life for Him. And if you've done that in your life, then you can have this confidence that when Christ comes again, when you hear that shout and the trumpet sound, that you will meet him in the air. But if you've never done that today, then you're going to miss out. If you've never done that today, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, then I would challenge you to make that decision. You hear us say it all the time. It is the greatest decision, the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And I would pray that you would not leave this place today without knowing for sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Because I'm telling you, we look at the events around us, and to me it is obvious, we are living in the last days. But even if we're not, we don't know how much time we have here on this earth. Then the next thing is, how do we live in these days with confidence? We stay alert. We be on guard. Be on guard. Jesus talked about the thief that comes. If we knew that a thief was coming to break into our house tonight, we would do everything we could to make sure that our home was protected. To be on guard means that you're watching and you are ready for what is to come. And he says to be alert, to be on guard, to be watching, to be ready. Are you watching for the return of Christ I tell you, I get up and almost every morning when I walk out my front door, even if I'm in a hurry, when I walk out, I look up at the sky and I say, is today the day the Lord will return? Now, we get busy and sometimes you kind of forget about that, but I just think, wouldn't it be great? And then I pray almost daily, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. That's part of being alert, being on guard, being ready for that moment when it happens. Are you ready? If the return of Christ were to happen in the next few moments, would you go and meet him in the air? Would you be a part of that grand celebration? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for encouragement that comes through your word. I thank you for conviction that comes through your word. God, I pray that you would just allow your word to speak to our hearts right now. 
God, I pray for everyone in this place. I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that your spirit would just draw them unto yourself and that today they would say yes to you. God, I thank you for the hope and the promise that we have in you. And I pray that you would help us each and every day to be on guard, to be ready. God, I pray that if there's people we need to tell that Jesus is coming again, that we would be quick to do so. God, I pray that if there's relationships that need to be restored, that we would do that quickly, knowing that our time is short. God, I pray that whatever it is that we need to do as we leave this place, that you would just guide us and we would follow you and we would be obedient to you in whatever way that is. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.